0: I <laughs> do
1: Hey guys, what's up? It is uh, week 81. I wanted to start this off with mentioning the Patreon. It's still going on. Um, If you guys want to donate, there's a bunch of tiers. Um, I'm actually doing a prize for uh, the Patreon-only people, so if you are interested um, in joining the Patreon and getting entered in the prize, you have until uh, December 1st. I think anybody that uh, joined in uh, November will be added in. And the prize is going to be a Blu-ray of Good Luck, Miss Wyckoff, which I reviewed last week and really enjoyed. Uh, So I've decided to give one away uh yep right over there you guys see the blu-ray there i showed it last week if you're more interested me and jeremy reviewed it so if you didn't want a chance to win that go ahead and join the patreon and uh you'll be entered in at any tier uh also what was i oh yeah i wanted to mention um that uh billy pun the director of circus of the dead um he has a gofundme right now he has cancer and he doesn't have insurance so he's going through a hard time if you guys want to donate the link will be below so um, and we're going to go into corrections because of course I made a mistake last week when I was reviewing Demon Warp. For some reason I said Brink Stevens instead of Michelle Bauer. I don't know why I did that. I knew it was Michelle Bauer. <laughs> you know, what's funny is the movie that pops in my head for Michelle Bauer is Chick Boxer, which she's in the last like 30 seconds of it. one. Not a particularly great movie, but you know, it's a, a Tempe, one of those movies that was like six movies all made back to back to back for like pocket change. But uh, let's hop into this. Um, uh, The first one I'm going to review is from Olive Films. And this is kind of a strange one for me to cover. Um, Mr. Kappa Goes to War this is basically the uh, documentaries the war documentaries during World War two the propaganda films that mr. Uh, the director Frank Kappa directed or produced so um, this was sent to me and I was uh, kind of interested in this kind of stuff but I never thought I would actually like review it so this is a, a series of seven documentaries more like six one's cut in two parts and uh, they're they're world War two propaganda films but uh, they're there to show why we fight and why we should fight and why we care it's kind of a morale uh, <laughs> a lot of these are like to boost morale um, I I will say they are very interesting and i'm shocked at how well and how uh, diverse they went into it to just like talk about getting people to join in for the military um, and why they should they were saying how you know showing what the nazis did and the japanese did and the it- italians were doing at the time these fascist governments taking over everything and they would uh, you know talk about how Americans need to come together under one umbrella and stuff like that and as as I know it was propaganda but it was somewhat inspiring at the same time and it did its job Uh, The other documentary, the next one is The Battle of Russia. This is cut into two parts. Um, This one's interesting as well because uh, the director did not feel comfortable doing it because he was a hardcore conservative and he did not want to paint communist Russia as this powerhouse, as a sympathetic force. So that was very interesting to see and uh, discover how strong Russia was and how Russia put up this front against Germany and did such a good job. And uh, this is also interesting because you get to see the German techniques of how they invade other countries and how they stopped other countries countries and how they took other countries over and which countries stood up for themselves and actually got annihilated and others just turned over. Um, you learn about the Blitzkrieg uh, war maneuver, which you learn in school. I don't know if they still teach that stuff, but how the Russians put up their defense against it was also very interesting and um, to show how many troops that they had at the time and how different uh, the world was, to be honest. It, it's an interesting part. And there's also interesting documentary in there. Probably one of the, the first two, the Russian one and the why we fight are my favorites, to be honest. And then it goes into the Negro soldier, where it talks about, um, uh, like, you know, it's kind of made so the American, the other American soldiers would accept more of the Negro fighter uh, soldier at the time. Um, well, African-American, the term in the movie they use is Negro. So, but in this one, it goes into, like, all the history of uh, African-Americans fighting for the country. They don't really talk about slavery there, but they talk about... um You know, the fascist governments over there, how they would treat the African-Americans much worse than us. So there's that. And there's a battle of Tanzania uh, as well, which was the African um, uh, kind of fight with the British and Americans fighting uh, Mussolini and uh, Germany there. And the final documentary is kind of interesting. It's 15 minutes long. It's very graphic. There's some stuff in here that's pretty nasty, showing what the Germans did to people. And it's basically a, a PSA, so don't trust these German people. I know you're watching them. You're supposed to be civil to them, but don't befriend them. Don't fraternize with them. Don't trust them. They did this once before where we thought they were okay, and they came back and bit us in the ass, like World War One to World War Two. It's a, it's a nice little set, and it's also interesting to see uh, you know, parallels to nowadays and compare how Americans are. I, I, it's almost, I don't want to say this, but it's almost, in a lot of ways, we've come forward, but in a lot of ways, we've taken a lot of steps backwards. Um, but they're all very interesting. Uh, in particular, the first two and the last one, I think, are the strongest of the documentaries. There is an expert on Kappa who talks about it, Capra. Um, I I think Frank Kappa is how I would say it, or is it uh, Capra? Yeah, Capra, I'm sorry. But uh, it talks about his career and his life and um, a lot of things and how these uh, um, it, how he was in real life and how he made the the produced them and whatnot and it's interesting stuff and it's also very interesting to realize that guys like John Huston and John Ford were making war documentaries too so you have these three big directors out there shooting all these documentaries for their countries and it was happening in Britain and all sorts of places and everybody loved his movies they said from Joseph Stalin to actually Hitler to Mussolini to uh, Franklin D Roosevelt they all loved his films and that's an interesting thing here Uh, interesting piece of history and I'm glad I got to check it out it's like uh, I'm learning it felt like I was learning when I was back in school and when you're young you always hate that but when you, you get older you appreciate that kind of stuff more
2: just what was it made us change our way of living overnight what turned our resources our machines our whole nation into one vast arsenal producing more and more weapons of war instead of the old materials of peace What put us into uniform, ready to engage the enemy on every continent and every ocean? What are these two worlds of which Mr. Wallace spoke? The free and the slave. Let's take the free world first, our world. How did it become free? Only through a long and unceasing struggle inspired by men of vision. Moses. Muhammad. Confucius. Christ. All believe that in the sight of God, all men were created equal. And from that there developed a spirit among men and nations, which is best expressed in our own declaration of freedom. We hold these truths to be selfish, that all men are created equal. It is the cornerstone upon which our nation was built and the ideal of all the great liberators. Washington, Jefferson, Garibaldi, Lafayette, Kosciuszko, Bolivar, Lincoln. Lighthouses lighting up a dark and foggy world.
3: That government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth.
1: Okay, this next one is from Arrow Video, and this is a crazy one. This is Orgies of Edo. This is the same director of Horrors of a Malformed Man... Which I thought was a a very, very different and crazy movie. And I guess this movie is uh, important because it was the stepping stone to Horrors of a Malformed Man. I actually uh, like this one a little better. It's an anthology which is kind of unique to see a Japanese anthology that involves the punishment of women in all shorts, all of them. Um, It was made in the late 60s, and it's graphic as far as uh, sexual content is concerned, which is surprising. Lots of nudity, lots of torture uh, way ahead of its time, and I'm sure it, it was very progressive, I guess, and caused a lot of trouble when it came out. The three stories are as follows. We have one where this woman is convinced to be thrown into a prostitute ring to help uh, her lover, and that one ends very tragically. It's very kind of sad and just kind of a uh, demented uh, the second, they they get more and more demented as they go on. The whole thing is perverse and cruel, and definitely not PC. The second one involves a woman who had some trouble when she was young, and she was uh, kind of uh, tortured by somebody. And she has this weird sexual kink for people who are disfigured. So she has a, a person who's obsessed with her, who is pretty typically, you know, handsome, but she's not interested in him. So he kind of loses his mind, and she's always rejecting him, and she's going out and finding. Uh, you know, vagabonds to sleep with and whatnot, and there's a particularly uh, really uh, dated on-PC scene where she wants to have sex with an African-American, and you got to remember this is back in, you know, medieval, not medieval Japan, but years, ancient Japan, so it's a taboo, and and, and the the idea that they're saying that, you know, uh, African-American is the equivalent to a disfigured person is kind of strange, but... This movie is definitely not going to win any points in the PC culture. Uh, The final story is uh, the longest and the craziest. Um, We have this uh, this guy gets this kind of man of power who is a sadist and he loves hurting people. He loves torturing people. And he finally meets this woman who seems to enjoy the torture and they start a relationship. But there's a graphic nasty twist and uh, there's a lot of people murdered at the end of it without spoiling too much. It's always so hard to talk about anthologies because you end up just running down the stories. And that's all you really talk about for some reason, because it's so hard to find a whole, um, you know, like necessarily a whole picture when you're watching these. The whole picture is, you know, three short stories about the torture and abuse of women, to be honest. Some of the stuff is really shot well. There's a really cool scene that's kind of from above, and you have all these things coming across the ceiling, and it, it makes the composition look really great. Um, I enjoyed the movie. I thought it looked good. It looks like your, your typical Japanese film from that time, with some bright colors and whatnot, and and everybody's pretty in it. And there's tons and tons of nudity, tons of sleaze. Of course, there's no uh, below-the-nether regions there, because in Japan, they typically do not like showing pubic hair. Uh, on the disc, there was an interview with an expert who talked about uh, this director and the career and, and whatnot. Uh, and that was kind of interesting because this is kind of a weak subject for me but it was a nice release it looked really good and it sounded good and I was I was fairly uh, happy with it I, I preferred it over the horse of Malformed men I thought the horse of Malformed men was a little jumbled and just kind of sloppy while well, this these stories were pretty straightforward although the twist in the third one kind of was out of left field but uh, it's such a it's a short and it was just kind of a you know come up and so I kind of appreciated it as well These films did really, really well financially for Toei at a time when other genres were dying, such as the Yakuza film. okay this next one is crazy it is a chilean movie from artsploitation films it is trauma this is a this is a wild one guys uh, this came out, I believe, it was made last year and was just released. I have to say, this is the most twisted movie I've seen in a long time. Maybe, I can't think of a movie that I've seen for the first time this twisted. Within the first five minutes, um, the movie is pushing extremity boundaries. We have a man who's, a, a young man who is forced to rape his mother, and then he is forced to rape her after she is dead. So you have incest, nicrophilia, rape, um, all at the hands of somebody... Yelling and commanding him to do it. It cuts to a lesbian, a graphic lesbian love scene, and the movie only gets crazier and more boundary pushing as it goes on. We have these two, this family kind of of monsters that have some sort of power in this community that are 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 deviant and incestuous and just all around disgusting uh father and son really are the the main driving force of this family um and we see that this father has a lot of problems that stem from you know his past and what happened to him and he's putting these things onto his own family uh it's a rather repulsive actually subject matter and there's like again there's a son forced to rape his own mother. There is a father raping his own son. There is a father-son duo rape on other people. And then there is a kiss afterwards between them that is sexual. It is one of the grossest things I've ever seen and most uncomfortable things I've seen in a very long time. Well, these group of, um, these, uh, family, this dysfunctional, disgusting family run into these, this other family, um, a lesbian couple, her sister and their cousin. And they are staying at this house that used to belong to someone in their family, and they're, of course, attacked. What happens is kind of like your typical torture kind of thing happening, but they they go that extra step. And it is strange when you watch a, a South American movie. It's not typical of an American extreme movie. The South American movie, I don't want to say this in a negative, but a lot of the American extreme movies are very low budget, or they don't have those, you know, polished edges at all. While something like a South American or a foreign extreme movie has a lot of polished edges um they seem to um take this stuff more seriously i mean as far as the film community in general to give money to the producers will tend to hand over more money um to these uh companies that make extreme movies in other countries or so it seems because this movie is very well made it is very well acted it looks great it has a good soundtrack it has some really good shots um from the sky and everything like that coming down tracking shots probably done with the you know um what's the damn thing that's always in the air i'm sorry i can't think of it right now but yeah probably done with those but it. Looks really good. But uh, I'm just shocked at how graphic it was, to be honest. Uh, I know with uh, these South American movies, sometimes they're pretty rough, like Hidden in the Woods or We Are What We Are, the Flesh. But this one, uh, it, it pushes the boundary. I've never seen anything quite like it, to be honest. With one of the scenes where somebody um, starts to bite somebody, and that's all I'm going to go to. I don't want to spoil too much. There's also uh, really uh, graphic gore in here. The gore, when it's there, is very. The practical gore is excellent. It, it's it's disturbing. It's disgusting, and it looks. Real, uh, they do some CGI and sometimes with uh, the gunshots and whatnot. Sometimes it looks really good. Sometimes it's iffy. It never uh, destroys the movie. It never ruins the movie because the movie is a, has a power. You really feel for the characters. You you feel horrible for the the four uh, main girls that are struggling to survive this and and uh, it, it's. Is uh, two of the most despicable villains I've seen in a very long time. And the history of the villain is also interesting. And it ties into like a military uh, fascist group and, uh, you know, going down the family line of monsters and mo- being a monster in your family through the blood, not necessarily, but it's more nurture, how these people are raised and what they become. But it's an interesting, uh, you know, extreme movie for sure. It's, it's less, it, I wouldn't say it's super interesting in its story, but it does have a story there which is intriguing, and uh, it's done so well, it, it, it has to be kind of, you know, respected to a certain extent. I really liked it, but I'm also uh, kind of a twisted person if you guys haven't realized that when it comes to film. I love crazy stuff. I love extreme films when they're well made, and this one is definitely that. Um, it's well acted, there's crazy moments in here, they just go. Uh, they go for it, and and I... I felt dirty and I felt gross, and I wanted to see what was going to happen to the characters. As far as the features are concerned, there's only a trailer. Um, it is in its uh, native language, um, so there's no no English dub on here, but there is subtitles. I thought it was really great. I thought it looked great. I thought it was well shot. I thought it was well acted. Um, I thought the relationships between all the characters was interesting, and I, I liked the soundtrack. There's no no real complaints about the movie, but if you are sick of just disc- if, if you have a weak stomach or it, it it's pretty rough. There's some of the gra- most graphic rape scenes that seen in a movie and there's some truly hor- uh, horrific murders in this stu- this one but uh it, it's a crazy crazy movie and if you like this stuff or i don't want to say like this stuff but if you you have to do it you have to see it for yourself then uh it is definitely one of the better uh extreme movies and Art exploitation did a good job with the release <laughs> <laughs>
0: Con que chile
2: Oye, bajemos la entrada de esta histérica. Sí, de sí. verdad que sí. Somos casi la única policía que existe aquí en el pueblo. Suban, tío. Está ¿Hace cuánto que no venían? eso siempre lo decís cuando querís... ¿Qué?
0: ¿Qué quiero? ¿Le contaste a la
4: mamá? Ah,
0: no. tratar de tener más paciencia.
4: Debe de tener paciencia sí. si no tenés nada de paciencia. Po. ¿No sabés que no se puede morir en cualquier momento? Ya, yeah, pero qué trágica.
0: <risa> qué <heros. risa>
2: Ah. Bueno, ¿qué tú no dijiste que iba a hacer todo por ella?
1: Okay, guys. The next one is the VHS Voyage, and I don't have a VHS of this one, but it is William Fruits' uh, Death Weekend from 1976, the uh, rape revenge film with Don Strode in it. Um, I had seen this one before, and I decided to rewatch it. It had been a while. Uh, this is one of the better movies of this, uh, you know, this uh, type for sure. We have um, this uh, woman who goes on this, uh, you know, supposed to go out with this dentist, and they're supposed to go to the cabin with a bunch of people. She ends up uh, driving his nice car. This Dennis is loaded and uh, they get in uh, some sort of speed, speed race, um, drag race with this group of uh, inbred idiots. I don't want to say inbred, but they are they're disgusting. He, the type of people that if, if you brushed up against them, you'd burn your shirt that you were wearing. Um, the lead led by Don Strode and um, Don Stroud. From stuff like uh, Pareto, uh Durango, he's in that He's in, um, he actually pops up In Django on Chain. he's in Sweet 16 He's in some Clint Eastwood movies But yeah, he's a good heavy and he's good in this As a monster, but she uh, Ends up running these guys off the road And they're not going to let it slide, they track down the dentist And um, her at uh, their isolated, you know, like, lake house, which is a mansion, which is excellent, filled with excellent things in there. Um, and, and besides that, there's also this element of this dentist is actually trying to, he's really a sleazeball. He's trying to get her in bed at any means necessary. He's very uh, materialistic. He doesn't care about, you know, anything except his stuff and, you know, getting laid and things like that. He's not a particularly likable character, Um And the the four bad guys are obviously horrible as well. The only person you really have to root for here is the lead. Luckily, the lead in here is great. She's strong. She's tough. She knows how to start a boat, fix a boat. She knows how to uh, drive uh, with the best of them. And she can defend herself. She's a strong female lead, and I enjoyed seeing that. Um, The rape scene uh, in here is pretty... pretty, uh, uh, weird. Uh, there's a couple actually. The one with Don Stroud. Uh, Don Strode. I always say Stroud or Strode. I always mispronounce one of them. I don't know ne- necessarily which one it is. I think it's Don Stroud. But. Uh, is really weird and gives you an insight on his character when he mentions that he only likes it when they fight. Nothing gets me off faster than a woman who fights. And you're just like, oh, wow, that's pretty pretty nasty. He's wearing a Canadian tuxedo. I believe this one is Canadian with William Froote's name attached to it. He did uh, Blue Monkey and Spasms and um, Funeral Home. So he actually is one of those underrated guys that did quite a few horror movies. And, and, and they're always pretty decent, to be honest. Blue Monkey and Spasms both have their moments. Um, this one is his best film, to be honest. I think so. Uh, when the bad guys are picked off, they all die in unique ways, almost action set pieces. And when these guys are destroying the house, they have a good character. These guys are actually well-established sleazeballs, Runt, Stanley, and um, Frankie, um, along with, uh, what is the lead's name? I, I can't think of Don's name, but... These guys are actual. I think it is. These guys are memorable bad guys. Like I said, they're the greasiest, grossest guys, and they get their comeuppance. And the movie's smart about setting up how they're going to be picked off. They do a couple of the setups where you know how they're going to die. Um, at the end, uh, kill is also just a. It's a nice showdown. I think it's one of the better of its type. The music's great in the movie. It has a haunting quality to it. It is very memorable. It's shot well. There's nothing wrong with this one. If you like these type of exploitation movies, I'd really highly recommend this one. I'd love to see it hit Blu-ray or even a DVD. I know there's a. Jack- Japanese dvd i do not know the quality of it but it's never had a proper release in stateside or north america or anywhere for that matter except possibly japan i don't know who has the rights it might be a Lionsgate one but i'd really like to see this one get a release and i think that anybody that's a fan of exploitation movies is well aware of it they might not have seen it but uh it's uh one of the better of its bunch
3: this man and this woman are off to play house for a couple of days He's a wealthy bachelor. She's a beautiful model. They're looking forward to a terrific time. The only trouble is they're going to spend it in the house house, house, house. by the lake. A 200-year-old mansion surrounded by acres of woods and crystal blue water, an isolated hideaway miles from anywhere and anyone. But that's where the beauty ends and the nightmare begins. The house by the lake. A house of secrets. A house of evil. A house of pain. A house of death.
0: My God, what's happening?
3: The house by the lake inhabited by a power that enslaves all who enter and drives them to acts of unspeakable horror. Ah! Ah! The House by the Lake. Grand prize winner at the International Terror Film Festival. Starring Brenda Vaccaro and Don Stroud. A film scene you'll run from the theater in fright. The House House, House by the Lake.
1: okay guys the pick a movie is by jay mitchell beard it is paper house by bernard rose the director of candy man this one was made in the late 80s, and I had heard about it for years. I had actually never seen it. Um, uh, there is a Voodoo rip of it on a Voodoo and HDX. You can buy it for $6 if you want to see it in HDX. If you don't want to wait for probably a Vestron Blu-ray, it's going to come. But Paper House. Uh, this is a strange kid horror movie. It's a fantasy kind of horror film, but not necessarily. It reminds me of a lot of The Baba Duke, The whole plot of this kind of sick girl who's kind of misunderstood, troublemaker at times, who has these strange stories that something supernatural is happening and the parents don't necessarily believe it, the doctor doesn't necessarily believe it, but something is definitely going on, I would say. This young girl who is kind of ill starts to draw these pictures, and these pictures, she she zones out and she ends up going inside the picture. At first, it's just a plain house with a boy in the window, and she's seeing him, and it turns out that this boy is a real person who is sick and dying of a disease. And that whole plot right there sounds like it'd be a Disney movie, but about halfway through the movie, she draws a, a particularly scary picture of her father, Um. In this picture, and that that whole setup that whole scene where she looks out the window in a distance she sees her father and he starts to scream and he 's in the shadows is actually a terrifying terrifying moment and that 's when it starts to turn to a horror movie, but at times it's very psychological and they play with the idea that you don't know how real this is or if any of it's real or if she somehow saw something that she shouldn't have and attached this boy to her own her own mind and whatnot but it feels like there is some supernatural elements happening here i I love the set design in the movie because the house starts off completely plain and at one point it gets thrown the picture gets thrown in the garbage and she comes back to it and it's all covered in junk she draws things and they appear into it it feels kind of like a terry gilliam movie in a lot of ways the fantasy elements and the weird dark fantasy elements that don't necessarily feel really mean-spirited or like kid friendly it just feels fantastical and i think that terry gilliam was very good at that and i think this movie has that quality too um it's a unique movie. I've never seen anything quite like it. There's some really beautiful scenery. And uh, it it has this uh, element of her relationship with her father. How much of her relationship with her parents are infecting her in this uh, dream or this fantasy world that could be real. Uh, weird movie. Strange film worth watching for sure and i um i I would definitely like to see it get a, a another release and i i was kind of intrigued by it i i don't i it wasn't something that i could really explain very easily or something i may revisit but i could see this movie it does leave an impression on you and i think it's worth checking out that's called paper house
0: The fence, the gate, the house, the door, the stairway, the boy. The fine line drawn between the walls of reality, and the edges of the imagination. Is anybody there? I'm having dreams, Mum. But they're real. You shouldn't be here. I drew you. I'm not drawing! Do you remember anything about the real world? This is the real world. I know Mark. I know him for my dreams. They've come for us. It's Dad. Don't let him in. It's only a drawing, Anna. Come on.
4: Yourself in the paper
1: house. So we're gonna do the pick a movie first, the pick a movie drawing. Um, sorry about that. Well, what do we got? Uh, the pick a movie is officially ended for a while, so your names in this bag or the new bag, you're good, but I'm not taking any more new names i got plenty for now. And if you do want to do that, there's always the Patreon. So. Who do we got? Uh, Nick Mua. Nick Mua is always on here interacting and asking questions, and I appreciate it. So let me know what you want me to check out. And we're going to hop right into the questions. And it's Nick Mua's questions, and that works out well. You talked about Dennis Hopper becoming more conservative later in life. I read more things about Charlton Heston. Why do you think that is? Well, I think Charlton Heston was always kind of a conservative guy. Um, I really do think that uh, when you're raised a certain way... And even if you aren't exactly like that, a lot of that, if you're raised conservative or liberal, a lot of that's embedded inside of you. You know, it's kind of like if your parents are super religion, you're not. You still have sometimes people would call like if they're Christian, Christian guilt, stuff like that. It does happen. It does. And I think that uh, people change over time. They see things. um, um, I don't know. I don't know necessarily. People change. uh, You get rich. (laughs) You get rich. You want to protect your money sometimes. I don't know. But Dennis Hopper, if you watch the last movie and things, some of his ideal ideology wasn't necessarily like liberal or anything. It came across as more maybe even conservative nowadays, but he had a lot of stuff like the marijuana stuff that that would be considered liberal at the time. But I don't necessarily think it would be considered liberal now. Um, so it's I think that uh, political parties also do shift. And then at one point you may be considered ultra liberal and then they shift and you're moderate. It, it depends. You know, it all depends do you think you could become more or ultra conservative later in life? I I could see myself being, I'm a moderate guy. I could see myself in times in certain situations, feeling more conservative or more liberal during the situation. Um, It depends. I I don't know if I could ever be a diehard conservative or liberal, to be honest. I I mean, I, I just like to leave people alone and let them do their thing as long as they ain't hurting anybody else. That's how I've always kind of felt, but um, I I've never really been an extremist one way or another. Why are so many convinced that beautiful people have beautiful souls? Even if it turns out to not be tr- uh, to be untrue. I don't know if that's necessarily so. I think that people that were considered beautiful that died young, they say, have beautiful souls, like Marilyn Monroe or James Dean. But I don't know if that's necessarily true. To be honest, I've never really experienced that. Um, I don't know. Uh, a beautiful soul, I guess, is a beautiful soul. I don't. I don't. Sometimes there's that those people that you meet that are are amazing looking and they're the sweetest, nicest, smartest person ever, and you think. You got to be a, a crazy person and, and behind closed doors or something because you're perfect and I don't understand how you're perfect but sometimes that does happen but then other times there's these people that look great that are monsters on the inside you know you know think of uh, Dorian Gray. Uh, then we're going to go into the answers. The uh, question I asked, was there any music, particularly a song made in like, the 70s for a movie, like Soldier Blue, stuff like that, that just stuck out to you that you loved? Some people got it. Some people just named some scores uh, in movies, but I'm going to read them all anyways. Nick Moa, music does add color to a film, doesn't it? I like that. As long as we've not been told what to feel through music, I have no objections. Philip Glass's entire score for Candyman is beyond compare. You're haunted by the music as much as the film itself. That's funny because, uh, you know, Bernard Rose did Candyman. I just talked about Paper House. Uh, Gerard McMahon's Cry Little Sister composed for the Lost Boys is sad and beautiful. It almost feel, it almost feels like a memory you can hardly recall, but stays on the edge of your mind. A dream of what was and can never be again, even though you'd like to. Like it. You'd like it to? Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. Yeah, I always loved the soundtrack to Lost Boys. I didn't even think of that one, actually. Uh, Viper Rose, nineteen seventy eight. The best song, hands down, Tenebra. Uh Tenebrae. Uh the perfect use of the song in the opening and goes with Argento's genius as a director. Also sets the tone for Crazy Roller Coaster ride of a movie. Can honestly say it's my easily in my top five and you can never go wrong with some goblin. Yeah, that is a great song, but I, I was thinking more like uh vocal stuff, but that song's amazing and I love the opening of uh that movie. It's just uh, it's well done. Hudson Movie songs, Burning Bridges from Kelly's Heroes, and You're Not Here from Silent Hill. Oh, I love the Burning Bridges from Kelly's Heroes. Burning Bridges Lost Forevermore. Yeah, that was always a good one. I actually really love that movie. It's one of those great Man on a Mission war movies that I enjoy so much. Uh, Ilk Vomit, best song for a film. First one that came to mind is the classic song from Kioma with the dude who sounds like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm not too familiar with that one. I'll have to check that out. Peter Engelin, Memo from Turner by Mick Jackson for Performance. Tell Me by Terry Caff from Electra Glide in Blue. San Antone by Danny Brooks for Rolling Thunder and Ninth Configuration. Yeah, I definitely like that one. That one's pretty cool. This one is also special for me, but you don't have to include this one. Rainbow Connection by Kermit the Frog from The Muppet Movie. That's pretty funny. Okay, and then we have uh, Brad Hominin. Bond movies have great songs written for them. Goldfinger, Live and Let Die, Skyfall indeed they do and M Brown 80 for the song question I would say the entire soundtrack for Last House on the Left and don't forget it's a long road from the first Blood series and for shits and giggles 2000 Maniacs I love the soundtrack to Last House on the Left uh, The Road Leads to Nowhere uh, I love that stuff um, and 2000 Maniacs is one of the catchiest songs ever yee south gonna rise again that's actually the only reason I probably like 2000 Maniacs is because of that song Okay um where are we going to go into next oh uh, the new question i wanted to ask you guys um which uh, here's the new question? It's kind of funny. It's kind of goofy. It's something that me and my friends always used to do. Um, it is celebrity death match. There used to be a TV show about it. But I which which two celebrities do you want to see duke it out? Whether they they have like a similar physical structure or they just always did the similar roles. So for example, Arnold versus Stallone is a classic one. Michael Clark Duncan versus Ving Rhames. Joe Pesci versus Danny DeVito. De Niro versus Pacino. Any of those, you know, Warren Oates versus um, I don't know, Harry Dean Stanton. Anybody. Two guys you want to see duke it out uh, that you think would be fun. John Waymers, Clint Eastwood. What do you guys think? In their primes, doesn't matter, alive or dead. Who do you want to see fight? Celebrity, deathmatch. Not because you dislike them, or maybe because you dislike them. Just two guys, or two gals, or a guy and a gal, whatever. Or a bear and a guy and a a girl. I don't care. Triple threat. Who do you want to see duke it out celebrity-wise? It could be fun. Okay, guys, let's hop into the update. Okay, guys, let's hop right into the update. We have uh, Brute Force, which I reviewed a couple weeks back, from Arrow Academy, Burt Lancaster prison movie. Great movie, 1947. Loved it, loved it so much I had to have it. There is a Criterion DVD. Maybe they'll do a Blu-ray later, but I didn't want to wait. It was pretty cheap on eBay. 12 bucks brand new. Couldn't pass it up. Then we have uh, Luciferina from Artsploitation Films. Not heard much about this one, but uh, it was cheap, and I like exploitation, so I bought it. We have The Ambulance from um, Screen Factory, Shout Factory. I got this from Hamilton Books. I'm, I really need this. I'm not going to pay those top dollar prices for Shout anymore. They're just too... I mean, 25 30 Sometimes I could see 25 Sometimes I could see 30 But when you're charging 35 for just a standard Blu-ray, it's just ridiculous and you know what i say i mean you don't have to buy it so i won't buy it but if i see it on price, uh, discount at hamilton for 14 bucks like this i will grab it the ambulance larry cohen movie another one alien predators also got discounted not seen this one don't know much about it looks fun sci-fi movie and we have Knight of the Lepus or Lepus, whatever you guys want to call it. I've never seen this one, but it's got a fun B-movie cast about giant killer rabbits from the 70s. Definitely worth watching for me. It's definitely up my alley. And we have Young Guns 2 from the Sony made-on-demand. Uh, I'm a big Young Guns 1 fan. I'm not as big on number 2, but I do like it. Um, I love Kiefer Sutherland in this movie. I love the speech he gives about uh, finishing the game. All well, the speech that William Bonney gives to him and he repeats, I'm going to go finish the game, Billy. Love that. Uh, you know, John, Bo- John Bon Jovi soundtrack. Uh, then we have When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth from Warner Archive. This is a Hammer movie. I'm not going to review this one for the Hammer, year of the Hammer, but I wanted to check it out regardless. Looks fun. Looks cool. Dinosaurs. I used to love this kind of stuff growing up, so we got some DVDs here. We have The Anniversary with uh, Betty Davis, another Hammer one that I won't be watching for the show, but I wanted to check it out. Uh, never seen it. Uh, Betty Davis is great, usually when I see her and stuff. So wanted to check it out. Then one I wanted to see for years, Revenge of Billy the Kid. This is an import as well as the anniversary. But yeah, guys, uh, this is supposed to be a goofy, comedic movie. I think it's from, uh, what is it, New Zealand? Or it might be actually from Britain. I'm not 100%, but this movie looks hilarious. So yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I've never seen it, but I can't wait to check it out finally. Uh, Revenge of Billy the Kid. Let's go back to the video, guys. Okay, guys, this next one uh, segment is a little special. It's the first time it's ever been done. It's uh, part of my Patreon, and it was uh, the fourth tier, reading, writing, and radiation. Somebody picked it, um, and it's a one-time deal, so when you pick it, you get to kind of pick. It's not an analysis. It's not a review, but it's something a little bit different. They chose, uh, Skip Barber chose um, Unforgiven, which is an amazing classic film. Uh, I can't say that many positive things about it we all know it's a great movie it's one of the best westerns ever but this uh video coming up will have some spoilers in it for sure it's kind of talking about the western and uh lots of other things and uh, some things like that so check it out let me know if you like it um you know i had to put some work into it so hopefully it shows
4: one of the fundamental principles of the western that was demolished by this trilogy was the pure black and white structure of the good guy and the bad guy. Uh, your character was, I think, the first movie character, really, who didn't wait for the other guy to draw his gun. Yeah. He shot first. Yeah, well, it doesn't make sense. Why would you wait for somebody to draw <laughs> <the> gun? <laughs> 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 but, uh, the American Westerns, I, I never could understand that. And, uh, <laughs> I, I remember John Siegel got in, in trouble when he was doing a film called The Shootist uh, some years later. And he was working with John Wayne. The, the villain gets, sneaks around the room and John Wayne comes up behind him. And he says, then just shoot him. And he said, there's a long pause. And he said, John Wayne said, you mean I shoot him in the back? And he says, yeah, yeah, you shoot him, just shoot him. Get rid of him because you've got four other guys in there. He said, I don't shoot anyone in the back. And Don made a terrible error. He said, Clint Eastwood would have shot him in the back. And he said, Wayne, Wayne turned blue. You see? And, uh, and, uh, so, uh, uh, and he said, I don't care what that kid would have done. I don't shoot him in the back.
1: What sort of style Western is Unforgiven? It's certainly not a spaghetti Western. It's far removed from the comic book fun and mass body count that subgenre tends to have. It's not a traditional western. There is no black and white, literally everything is a shade of grey. So it must be a revisionist western, right? Well, not exactly. It feels to be more traditional than a lot of 70s revisionist westerns. There isn't exactly a complete rewrite of what is thought to be a classical western. There are cowboys, sheriffs, outlaws, and many of the typical players in the film. However, it makes a strong statement on the legend of the West, being demystified due to egomaniacal gunfighters and overzealous writers. It feels as if it has its own legend, so in other words, it's a revisionist western told in a classical style, or maybe a classical western with revisionist characters. Clint Eastwood is no stranger to the western. He made a career out of making movies that helped destroy the traditional western structure. Starting with his acting roles in the Sergio Leone spaghetti westerns, and eventually moving on to directing revisionist westerns himself, with the likes of the outlaw Josie Wales and High Plains Drifter. Clint Eastwood was successful at acting and directing these films because he understood the western, understood how to deconstruct it, and he could spot a good script. He was well aware of the thought process that the myth is more important than the truth, and managed to use it, perfectly, to fit his anti-hero characters. Beforehand, the man in the white hat was the hero, and the mysterious gunslinger that showed up in town with few words and many bullets was the villain. Eastwood managed to take the character that would shoot his enemy in the back and make him the center point, adding a layer of charisma and one-liners like no one else could. This was far from the stern but good-natured John Wayne characters that everyone had grown accustomed to, so in 1992, when he directed and starred in Unforgiven, he had to do something a bit different. Instead of building into the myths, he deconstructed them, and inherently enriched them in the process. Yes. The story of Unforgiven is a simple enough one. A pair of former outlaws take one more job after years of inactivity in hopes of leaving their violent past behind them. Along the hard western frontier, the now quiet and reserved William Money reflects his past crimes with his old partner, Ned, and a newcomer assassin, self-titled The Schofield Kid, who is enamored by the lives and legends of outlaws. They are to kill a pair of cowboys who cut up a prostitute in a fit of rage. Filled with an impeccable cast besides Eastwood, the cast includes Morgan Freeman as Ned Logan, Will's old partner. Gene Hackman as Little Bill, the violent sheriff of Big Whiskey. Richard Harris as English Bob, a man who earns his money killing for the railroad. And Sal Rubinick as W.W. Bochamp, a western dime store pulp writer and fabricator of the truth. William Money's character is that of great significance in terms of Eastwood's career. He's a poor single father with diseased pigs. At first glance, no one would guess that this is the same William Money from the legends who robbed, killed, and cheated. This man shown is a broken down man filled with deep sadness and regret. His claims that his dearly departed wife took the violence out of him are abundant, but not to be completely believed. When he accepts a job with a young would-be assassin, his reasoning is to provide for his kids. Eastwood has played dozens of western characters, and even farmers. But their motives for killing were always different. William is killing to provide for a family, not revenge like Josie Wales or wealth like the man with no name. The first part of the film sets up money like a comical buffoon. He can't shoot straight or get on his horse without trouble. Nothing says pathetic like an aging outlaw being bested by his horse. Just ask Pike Bishop from The Wild Punch.
2: Here's Brother Pike needs help, Brother Lyle. Brother Pike and old man Sykes makes a man wonder if it ain't time to pick up his chips and find another game. How in the hell are you gonna
4: sight anybody when you can't even get on your horse?
1: The character of W.W. Beauchamp allows Eastwood to show the process of the story being turned into a legend. At first, Beauchamp is doing a biography on English Bob, who is trying to collect the same bounty as Will. English Bob is a shmarmy, condescending yet dangerous man. When English Bob and Beauchamp encounter Little Bill, Beauchamp decides to change his biography subject from English Bob to Little Bill. This change of subject is only after Little Bill embarrasses and beats the Englishman into a bloody mess. The insight that Little Bill gives Beauchamp involving the truth to the stories that English Bob embellished begin to pick apart the myths that Beauchamp wrote so passionately about and the Schofield Kid read so passionately. Little Bill describes the events that actually took place and lets Beauchamp in on how he stays alive during a gunfight. The entire scene is poignant and a beautiful use of foreshadowing. Everything that Bill states about the jamming guns and staying calm plays into the final showdown between Money and Bill. The next scene continues the theme when the Schofield kid asks Money about a story he heard about him killing two deputies. Unlike Little Bill, Money doesn't care to remember, or doesn't seem to. Shortly after, we learn Money actually killed three men in that exchange, not two. I mean, the way they say it happened. What business?
2: On how there's two deputies up close pointing their rifles right at you. Had you dead to rights. You pulled out your pistol and blew them both to hell. You only took scratch yourself.
0: Yeah. Uncle Pete says he never seen nothing like it. Shooting
2: your way out of a scrape like that.
4: Yeah. Well, I don't recollect. You
2: don't recollect? That's right. Say, Ned, how many men you killed? Ain't you gonna answer the question? What
3: the hell's that to you?
2: Well, I gotta know what kind of fellow I'm riding with. In case we get into a scrape and all. How many men you killed, kid? Five. How many? Five. I done killed five of them. That's including a Mexican. He'd come at me with a knife. Why don't you shut up get some rest? boys are crotchy just a couple old hands. Let me tell you.
1: Unforgiven is a vastly intelligent film that never stops being that. Making statements about corrupted authority, where the lawman in his past was no better than the criminals he beats for a living in the present. It takes its time with its characters, and they are given tremendous arcs. The Schofield Kid resembles every kid full of piss and vinegar, ready to be a famous outlaw. But after the deed is done, completely changes his tune. takes small moments of the film that only take seconds, but enrich everything. When Money and Ned kill the first cowboy, their reactions say everything. Ned stares off, his eyes glazing over unable to finish the job of killing. Money, after doing the deed, silently picks at mountainside rocks. There isn't anybody quite as good when it comes to showing fragile moments of a masculine man who fights the urge to show emotions. Money and Little Bill have their comedic moments in the first act. Money with the horse troubles and Bill unable to build a decent house. Both are the blunt end of the jokes. But the jokes don't invade the film for sole entertainment value. They are there to make a point. Money and Bill are hard men that aren't good at anything else in particular except killing. Everything they set forth to do is done poorly. Money is a failed farmer and Bill is a failed carpenter. The pair both have a violent past, but the differences stem from their treatment of that past. Little Bill freely talks about it. He doesn't mind reliving it or becoming it again. As for money, not only does he not want to reflect, he can barely remember it due to drink. The final confrontation plays out much more realistic than any of Clint's previous western films. There isn't a dozen men being shot bloodlessly in a blaze of bullets like his spaghetti westerns, but a tight and intense shootout with misfires and panicked people. What makes this end so interesting is that the whole film has been discounting the fabrication of western stories where a man single-handedly kills several. But at the end of Unforgiven, that exact thing happens. The man who at the beginning of this film couldn't tend to his farm or ride a horse is now the cold-blooded killer he was said. There is no heroic pulp in this shootout, but some really dark moments. Moments Eastwood was no stranger to. But here, the shooting of a dying man with one arm, the killing of an unarmed man, the shooting of a man in his back, and finally the killing of a defenseless man, who in his own words doesn't deserve this, is darker than usual. Unforgiven managed to make a huge statement about the story over the myth it ends up playing out as a story so unbelievable it must be a myth. All right, now we got uh, the Patreon shout-out. Some new ones. Jacob Benson, actually my cousin. So my cousin's donating my Patreon. Thanks a lot, Jake. Um, I know you're going to pick some really bad movies for me on purpose. Uh, we have Tone Joker, uh, nice guy, cool guy. Uh, thanks again. Uh, Cyanide Breath Mints, I love that name. That's pretty funny stuff. Um, thank you. Jim Simon, thank you, man. Appreciate it. And uh, Derek Bourgeois. Love Derek. He's a cool guy. He's got a YouTube channel. He's got a podcast. The links will be below uh, with anybody else's links that they have. And uh Hunter, by, Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it. Um Again, thank you very much for watching. Well, let me talk about the Patreon a little bit. So, um uh, the tiers, again, are all there. Uh If you have any suggestions on which tiers to make or a- any suggestions to make the Patreon better, let me know, especially if you're a patron. I'll do whatever. Uh, I'll try to make it better for you guys. But uh, thank you very much, guys, for watching. And as always, you guys have a good one. Mm.